1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: The best career advice that you are not getting is... To invest.
3: Hello and welcome to another episode of You're in Good Company, a podcast for like minded people who want to
2: make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and I'm here with my good friend Sophie. Good morning, Maddie. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. It is our part two of our very important two part series with Sarah King. But before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wawandru people of the Kula Nation who are the traditional owners of this land on which we are recording today. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So Soph, how did you first start building up your portfolio? Oh, to be honest, at the beginning, I honestly didn't even know what a portfolio was. I kind of just started out buying certain stocks, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I bought into Afterpay, and then I was buying into some uh, other companies that interested me. And I was kind of enjoying, I guess, like the thrill of it all. And I wasn't really thinking about building up. The thrill. Yeah, (laughs) seriously though. (laughs) It was a bit of a thrill. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about, I guess, a long-term portfolio. And as I've gotten a bit more into the research and thinking about my goals a lot more, especially my long-term goals, I've moved into buying... Uh, More stable, I guess, ETFs or more stable uh, investment decisions in companies. Uh, So I guess my portfolios started a bit later in the game, but now I, you know, note down what I'm buying. Uh, I watch, I guess, the percentages of companies that I have, and um, I guess it's always just a work in progress for me at the minute. What about yourself?
3: I don't think your portfolio has started being built any later. You're just a bit more maybe aware of what's in it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's true. That's true.
3: (laughs) Yeah, looking back. I think I was probably thinking about it without actually realising that's what I was thinking about, if that makes any sense at all. So I was aware that I was sort of keen to buy into ETFs because it gave me really broad exposure to lots of different things. I also bought gold really early on, and we'll touch on this a little bit more later today. But gold is what's known as a defensive asset. So in general, it tends to move in the opposite direction to the broader stock market. Um, But I've definitely only learned sort of more about these things as I've gone along and got into it. Um, and yeah, enjoying sort of figuring out how to gain exposure to different companies and themes that I'm
2: interested in as I build out my portfolio. Portfolio is such a fancy word. <laughs> it is a bit of a fancy word. Um, so I guess your gold would have done pretty well over COVID, then, when the stock market crashed what happened with you yeah
3: exactly right in that respect I was pretty lucky that I bought you know a defensive asset very early on because when the rest of my stocks were going down I think gold hit like all-time high that you know the highest it's ever been so that
2: was great (laughs) well we are now going to cross over to our chat with the lovely Sarah King about building up your own portfolio and how to manage it in the future Today
3: we are back with Sarah King to talk about building your portfolio. Last episode we broke down the risks involved with investing and how you can determine your own risk tolerance. Today we are going to be talking about what a portfolio is and how you can build one that aligns with your own risk profile so that you can ensure you're making the right investments for you. Now Sarah, we have a myth to be busted. Building and managing a portfolio is a job done by many professionals, including yourself, who have years of experience. So sometimes it can seem like a very large task to do this yourself. Do you need to be an expert to build your own portfolio?
4: Look, uh, that's that's a good question. Um Look, I think it does take a little bit of expertise and I think to build a well-diversified portfolio and one that's going to help your money to grow long-term but also be protected, which is really what you want with investing, yeah, may mean that you may mean that you need to get some advice. But, yeah, hopefully a lot of what we go through today will give the audience, you know, some foundations on how to go about building your own portfolio and, and the things to consider so that you can go away and do your own research and maybe work out yeah, how you can approach it yourself. So, if we go back to the basics, because I used to think
2: that portfolios were something that my sister was submitting for her VCE art classes. What is a portfolio when it's when we talk about investing?
4: <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's a great analogy because with you know art, you've got your series of artworks and they're all quite different. Um, so with investing, I guess it's quite similar. An investment portfolio is really just a mix of different types of investments. So and if you think about different types of investments, that can be things like, you know, bonds, like your fixed interest investments. It can be things like shares. Um, it can be things like global shares. So you've got Australian shares and global shares. It can be property. It can even be things like artwork or collectibles. You know, we've now got things like cryptocurrency as well. So when we've got people having different types of investments collectively, you would call that your investment portfolio.
3: So a very common term that I sometimes hear discussed when we're talking about portfolios is core, or sorry, two terms, is core and satellite. Can you tell us a bit about what these two words mean?
4: Yeah, so this is really, it's an investment approach in a way that you can build your portfolio to capitalise on buying and holding for the long term. That's the core part. And I'll I'll go into a bit more detail in a second. And then imagine like it's like the sun with these little planets sort of going around it. You've then got these little sort of satellite investments. And they're sort of parts where you're trying to have a little bit more of like a tactical management, something that you can try and outperform um, a benchmark or achieve a slightly better return in the shorter term compared to the core part that's really your buy and hold approach. So, yeah, but it's definitely a way that you can combine both index investing with a little bit of active management on the side. So do you
2: have kind of a rule of thumb for the percentage wise of how much core and satellite you should have or is it just really dependent on the person and their goals?
4: Can be really dependent on the person and their goals, but I, for me personally, I would have a much larger proportion to your index investing, uh, the index, the core part. Um, and then, you know, depending on your satellites, I would say no more than three to four with really maybe a 5% allocation to each. So I would definitely look at having the core part as a much larger part of my portfolio maybe you know your your 70% 80% and then sort of a, a smaller sort of allocation to each of those satellites but it's really dependent on the investor their specific risk profile and what type of returns they're they're trying to achieve yeah, that makes sense. We actually had a guest on um Tash
2: Invest the other week and she was saying that I can't remember the exact fact that a lot, but a lot of fund managers really struggle to outperform, you know, the S&P 500 or a lot of ETFs. So she just kind of sticks to that real core because I mean, you're going to get the performance there.
4: 100%, I completely agree.
3: Yeah, you talked about I think maybe 5% to 3 or 4 sort of satellite stocks. I think that's the arrangement I've got at the moment, maybe like an 80-20 rule. So 80% sort of core and around 20% satellite. So for someone who has never invested before, what do you think is the best way to start sort of thinking about building a portfolio? Yes.
4: Yeah, so first and foremost, and I think this is very often overlooked, the first question you should be asking yourself is, how do I want to own these investments? This is quite important. I see a lot of, I talk to a lot of clients who are like, oh, oh, I wanted to set that up in joint names and they've already started investing in their individual name. So this is really important how you're structuring your investment so that you know that you're getting the right tax structure for yourself. So do I want to own it in my individual name? You know, do I want to own my investments 50-50 with someone else? If I have an established trust, do I want to invest via the trust for certain tax or asset protection reasons? So that's important. It can save you a bit of a headache down the line in terms of if you need to then transfer the assets across to a different structure. So always think about how you want to own your investments. Most of the time, it's just in your individual name, right, if you're investing on your own. The next thing to think about is, okay, I know that there's risk when I invest. What can I do to try and reduce that as much as possible? And this is where your asset allocation comes in. What types of investments do I want to own in my portfolio? So, for example, you look at the different asset classes. So you want to have growth investments, that's things like your Australian and global shares. They're going to help your money grow ahead of inflation. Then you want to have assets that are going to help to protect your money as well. And they're called your defensive investments. And these are typically things like, bonds and gold so you want to make sure that you've got a blend of both that is going to help you to reduce the risk that you can't really control right so when we're talking about risk last week there are certain risks that are sort of systemic in the system that you can't really get rid of them they're things like the government or the rba might change interest rates or there might be a crash in the market so you might have 10 Australian shares, but what about your global shares? What about if the Australian share market falls? What's going to protect you on the downside? So that's it. You want to have your growth and your defensive. Um, you then want to think, okay, what's my goals? Am I investing for super long term? Is it more medium term? What um, is my investment time frame? You know, am I doing it for three years, five years, ten years or more? This is going to help dictate the percentage you should have to your growth versus your defensive, right? So typically, the longer you're investing, you can afford to have a lot more in your growth. So your share investments, compared to your defensive because you've got time on your side. Investing is really about time in the market. So compared to someone who might have only, say, three or four or five years to invest, you want to have a much higher allocation to your Defensive investments compared to shares because you don't have as long. So that will then dictate, you know, what what allocation you have to each of those asset classes. So yeah, so we've got the asset allocation, we've got your specific weightings, and that's also linked to your risk profile, which we spoke about last week. Um, And then within that, you've got, okay, this is the last part. And often the part that people think is the most exciting, but it should really come last. And that's what actual investments am I going to own? So diversification is all about not putting your eggs in one basket and making sure that you can then, again, eliminate as much risk as possible. And so you can do that by owning hundreds of different types of companies, hundreds of different types of bonds. And I, in my opinion, the best way to do that is owning exchange traded funds because you can use 1 ETF in each of those asset classes so that way you're really spreading your you know your money across lots of different companies and um, spreading your risk. So that's the most important thing. And then you just want to monitor it year on year. You know, you want to do some rebalancing along the way and make sure that you're always aligned to whatever your strategy is. And then, yeah, once you've built it, don't look at it all the time. Like that's the most important thing. It's long-term. Keep a long-term perspective. Just for the minute, I'm
2: going to take it back one little step just so that we can break it out a little bit. So we've kind of uh, established that, you know, our portfolio and especially in investing is, you know, with our stocks, index funds, bonds, and then more broadly, you know, in property, potentially art. And one way to think about growing that is, you know, thinking about your core and then your satellite, then to reduce your risk within your portfolio is this term that you mentioned, diversification. And I know that we've touched on it a little bit, but just to break it down a little bit more, what actually is diversification?
4: Yeah. So diversification is essentially not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So this is when you're investing, it's the best way to help you to reduce risk. So for example, sometimes clients come to me and they say like Sarah, I've got five Australian shares in my portfolio I think I'm pretty diversified and I'll often say to them well What shares have you got? And they might say well, I've got Combank, I've got NAB, I've got ANZ, I've got BHP And then I'll say oh gosh, you're not really diversified. You've got three banking stocks in there You've got one mining and resource stock and you're fully invested in the Australian share market so, you know, that's really not going to help you to reduce your risk if, say, you know, there's, um, the banks aren't doing well or they're not paying you dividends or there's changes in interest rates. Um, similarly, like we saw with COVID, you know, that impacted sort of the mining and resourcing sector. So what you want to do when you are investing is have exposure to as many companies as possible and as many different sectors, as many different industries, so that if one of those companies doesn't do well, it doesn't matter because you've got such, such broad diversification. So diversification is the best way to reduce risk um, and that's the risk that you can, you know reduce as much as possible through owning hundreds of different types of companies, um, investing in things like gold, as well as in things like bonds. So yeah, in simple terms, not putting all your eggs in one basket, trying to get exposure to companies in different economies, like emerging markets, global developed markets, and really helping you reduce your risk as much as possible for a certain amount of return that you're trying to achieve.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make because I've had some of my friends, for example, come to me and talk about what they're investing in and they say, you know, well, I've got something in the banking, I've got something in the mining, I've got something in the retail, so that's quite diversified. But there are different types of diversification, I guess, and you do need to be thinking about not just at, um, I guess, that industry level, but at the market level and then also into, I guess, other actual assets, which we'll touch on a little bit later on.
3: So just to confirm, I guess the benefits of diversifying your portfolio then are ultimately to reduce your risk. Is that
2: correct? Absolutely right. Yeah, correct. So you mentioned that, you know, it's really good to be diversifying across a really broad range of industries, companies, ETFs. Is there such a thing as too much diversification and how can people know when to, I guess, stop branching out to new things?
4: Yeah, great question. So in my opinion, yes. There can be um, a point where adding an extra asset class or another type of investment to your portfolio isn't helping you reduce your risk anymore. So um, even at StockSlot, we've done a lot of research on this and we only, we have five asset classes in the portfolio and five etfs right so we feel like um, adding in say another asset class like property outside of you know the five that we have isn't giving our investors much more diversification benefit and isn't helping them generate much more additional returns so in my opinion that's where exchange traded funds are great because you can spread you know you can invest in thousands of companies around the world through just holding four or five different investments which is fantastic
3: One thing that we have heard about with ETFs, which I just want to touch on now, is sort of this idea of duplication. So can you sort of explain to us a little bit what that means in terms of if you're holding, say, VAS, which is, you know, the top Australian companies, and then you might be holding another ETF, which is for Australian banks? how we need to be aware that we're actually holding the same thing in two different ways. Can you explain that a little bit better than I just did?
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you explained that very well. So obviously, um, so if we use BAS, you're getting exposure to Australia's top 300 companies, right? Um, within that, that's all the, the big banks and financials. And then as you said to your your uh, example, Maddie, you might also have, yeah, like a, a, a financials, etf for example and so what that can mean is that you're doubling up on those holdings look and what it can mean is that you're a bit heavily concentrated it's called concentration risk so look it might mean that you're holding the same investment twice you might be paying unnecessary fees that you don't need to because you're essentially paying another um, etf you know a, a small fee to own that investment so what you want to do if, if you get a bit more technical about it you can look at, you know, of your total money, what portion is, say, in financials. And if you want to sort of reduce that out, you could look at getting rid of one of those ETFs and just holding a broader, you know, your top 300, top 200. If you do want to get a bit more focused, maybe go a bit more niche, like maybe you want to have exposure to some smaller companies instead of the big financials because you've already got that. But yeah, if you're sort of, if you're buying similar ETFs, it can mean that you're holding the same companies twice over.
2: You know that makes that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's something that people need to be really aware of when they are buying into ETFs. Just kind of noting down which companies are in there and making sure that you're not double exposed. But you think you might think you're exposed to other companies, but you're actually not, and then it's obviously not going to really help with your diversification.
3: We are going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to discuss how you can manage asset allocation in your portfolio.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: So we've mentioned asset allocation a couple of times uh, in this episode. And also last week, we spoke a little bit about diversifying into assets such as shares, gold, bonds, property. But if we get back to the basics and give it a definition, what is asset allocation?
4: Yes. Yeah, so very broadly, asset allocation is the specific asset classes. So that's things like Australian shares, global shares, um, things like bonds, your fixed interest asset class, and things like commodities, gold. Um, that's how you're going to allocate your money across those different types of investments. And this is the really, really important part. Your asset allocation is what's going to help generate the most amount of returns in your portfolio. So when you're investing into different asset classes, you want to have, you want to have investments going to help your money to grow. So that things like your Australian and global shares. It's going to help your money to grow ahead of inflation. It's going to help you to access markets outside of Australia. But then you also want to have as part of that asset allocation investments are going to cushion your portfolio when, you know, the share market might fall. And that's things like your bonds and gold. If you look back through history, anytime the Australian share market has fallen, bonds have done the opposite. So your asset allocation is important because it's helping you to have different types of investments that have different characteristics and do different things at different times. So it's the best way to help you, yeah, mitigate those risks that you can't otherwise control. This is a bit of a step back a little bit, but we've
2: mentioned gold a couple of times. Why is it that gold goes the other way to the stock market? Do you know? Can you explain?
4: (laughs) (laughs) So yes, this is one of our most commonly asked questions. So gold is really... um, insurance policy for your portfolio so typically when gold isn't performing that means that generally all of the other asset classes are right so it's basically a hedge for your portfolio. So if we look back to COVID last year when the share market fell, everything went crazy, investors were flocking to gold as a safe haven investment. Um, And this is what you want for your portfolio in times of severe share market volatility, when maybe bonds might also not be performing as well, investors will flock to gold as that store of value. So yeah, that's the benefit of the asset class diversification and having those defensive insurance policy investments in your portfolio. They're, they're very, very important for when those volatile share market periods arise.
2: And you can buy gold just like a stock, right? Like it trades on the stock market. You don't need to go and buy like an actual thing of gold.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So you can do it through an ETF these days. So you can go... And buy like a gold ETF and you're actually you're actually becoming an owner of that gold so the one in our portfolios you know the gold is actually stored in a vault in London and each time you buy a a gold ETF unit you're becoming a physical owner of that underlying asset Um, but what it means is you don't have to worry about things like storing gold you know if you're owning gold directly you've got to you know go and buy it from the mints you've got to store it um, there can be other costs involved. It's a really easy, accessible way for you to buy something like gold. You know, you can do it with silver. There's, there's a mix of commodities that you can do through ETFs these days. Um, but yeah, it's super easy. You buy it like a share on the ASX.
3: And when you're trying to sort of start building up your portfolio, do you have any tips for knowing how much of any one stock or one thing to buy? Is there sort of a maximum percentage that we should try and follow as our portfolio builds out?
4: Yeah, I mean, my advice to that is like investing in one stock is super risky. I would, you know, always say one stock, 2%, maximum 5%. So that's what we're seeing a lot with. I guess it's more of an asset class or an alternative with cryptocurrency at the moment. You know, we're seeing a lot of investors wanting to put all of their savings into cryptocurrency. Hugely risky, very volatile asset class. So I would always say to investors, if you've got A particular stock or um, something like a, you know, cryptocurrency, two percent of your overall portfolio maximum. You know, you don't want to put your life savings into one thing and run the risk of it, you know, of losing your money or experiencing huge amounts of volatility along the way. So, you know, even for you know stocks like Afterpay that are doing well and all of those tech stocks, you really want to try and diversify as much as possible. You know, that's really going to help you to manage your risk, it's gonna help you to sleep easier at night. You don't have to worry about what's happening with that one stock day to day. So um, yeah, really, I would say personally maximum of 2%, selling that 5% um, and otherwise diversify, get as much exposure as you can. to lots of different types of companies in different regions around the world and different sectors.
3: Now, moving on a little bit more to sort of managing our portfolios on an ongoing basis. Now, I feel like this is maybe something that scares people off a bit because it sounds like a lot of work and a huge feat sort of managing your stock portfolio. But can you maybe elaborate on this a little bit about what this might look like for an everyday investor? And if you have any recommendations for sort of any programs or any methods that can help for sort of managing your portfolio on an ongoing basis?
4: Yeah, well, look, for me personally, I I don't want to be looking at my portfolio day to day. And I think this is where the behavioral side of managing your money is super, super important. Um, you really want something that you can set up um, and then not have to worry about looking at it day to day. And that's the benefit of having asset class diversification and diversification of the investments right the more that you're looking at it day to day you might freak out you might see investments moving up and down and this is going to happen day to day in the short term it can then lead you to making suboptimal investment decisions you might be buying and selling at the wrong time so personally i think the best thing is to have your long-term strategic asset allocation so that's you know, you're going to stick to those percentage weightings in your portfolio. You've got your mix of investments. And then from time to time, you might need to check it because those weightings might drift a little bit from, you know, where you want them to be. And that's when you might want to do something like a rebalance and also along the way, making sure you're not moving it around too much because you're going to be paying way too many fees and that 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 those costs actually eat away at your returns long term. So they're the fundamental things you should be focusing on, in my opinion.
3: So how often should we be buying into the stock market? I know that, you know, every time you do buy that you pay a fee, some brokerage, things like that. So how often should you be buying? And I guess on that as well, is there a minimum that you should invest each time?
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you should be buying as often as you can, right? If you've got excess savings, You want to be building your investment portfolio. If if it's money that you don't need in the short term and you're serious about, you know, building your wealth to reach a goal or fund your retirement, you want to look at buying as much as you can. Right. So we have a lot of clients who invest money every month. This is called a dollar cost averaging strategy. essentially. you're just always adding to your portfolio, regularly topping up. The beauty of robo-advisors is they often won't charge you for brokerage, sort of absorbed in the cost, but if you are managing your portfolio yourself, each time you are investing and buying, you're going to pay a brokerage fee for that. I mean, there are a lot of other platforms out there now that aren't charging for brokerage, but it may not be that you're, you know, you, you've built yourself a diversified proper investment portfolio through some of those platforms. So um, I would always recommend trying to top up as much as possible. Use a platform where you're not getting stung with brokerage and that's where robo-advisors are great. Um, and then, yeah, like the more that you're topping up, that's going to supercharge how much your portfolio grows by, you're gonna earn more distributions along the way, you're gonna be reinvesting those, and that's seriously gonna help with the compounding of returns over time. And the fact that you're edging your way into the market, whether it's week to week, month to month, Removes the need to try and time the market and focus on what the market's doing, um, because you're just averaging your way in. So um, yeah, I really think that the more you can buy, the better, as long as it's in line with your financial circumstances. You're not overextending yourself. You have still got, you know, your cash reserve outside that you can call on. Um, but also, you know, if you are on a platform where you're paying a lot of brokerage, just be very mindful of those costs and try to minimise those as much as possible.
2: And then what about, I guess, the flip side, we don't want to touch on, you know, selling too much because we almost think it's an episode in its own about when to sell. But we did want to touch on maybe the tax implications of selling, you know, if you sell within the first year that you might have um, different tax implications to if you hold it for more than a year. Could you explain that a little bit to us?
4: yeah so the golden rule when you invest is you want to buy and hold long term right and minimize selling when you sell it's usually if you're doing a rebalance of your portfolio the more that you're selling yeah you can be crystallizing things like tax right so when you when you own an investment let's break down the return side you're going to earn income along the way that's your investment income so that seems like your dividends and distributions That forms part of your accessible income each year a bit like you know savings from a savings account but when you when you sell an investment if that investment has gained over time so let's say you buy a share at ten dollars today and then you go to sell and it's twenty dollars that's a ten dollar gain that you've locked in so if you're um if you're selling in less than 12 months in, in terms that you haven't owned the investment for over 12 months you, you get taxed at your marginal rate on that whole $10, right? Whereas if you've held that investment for over 12 months, you only get taxed on 50% of that gain. So, you know, the government does actually give you an incentive to hold your investments for for as long as possible and they do that by the way of a tax concession on that. So then if you'd held it for longer than 12 months, you'd only be paying tax on $5. So that's 50% of that $10 gain. So definitely advantages of buying and holding. And the beauty of investing is that The more that you're not selling, you know, you're buying and holding for the long term, you're really deferring all of those tax implications until the future.
2: Great overview of this pretty big topic of portfolios, you know, building up a portfolio, looking at your core and satellite, understanding the assets that are in your portfolio and I guess the percentages of those assets that you might have, touching a little bit on diversification, well, actually a lot on diversification, (laughs) So that our risk is, you know, really spread. And then I guess kind of just buying and holding for the long term so that we really reap those long-term benefits um, of investing. To
3: round out this episode, each episode, we have been asking our guests to add a stock, company, news trend, or industry to our watch list. Now, the purpose of this is to get us thinking outside the box and to broaden our horizons in the investing space. But We are not financial advisors and this is purely for educational purposes and absolutely does not constitute investment advice. So, Sarah, what are you bringing to the watch list today?
4: Yeah, great question. So as someone who is so invested in helping Australians um, feel connected to their superannuation as Early as possible. Um, I'm very much watching, um, you know, um, the rise in the superannuation guarantee that's proposed to come into play uh, this June. There's a bit of a hot debate with the Morrison government, you know, coming off the back of COVID and people having access to their superannuation early. Um, You know, I think Scott Morrison is looking at making that optional. You know, do you you have the option to consider? continue to pay 9.5% um, or you have the option of increasing that to 10% with a view that it's going to increase to 12% by 2025. Um, this is a really important consideration. I know that, you know, a lot of um, Australians are probably feeling like, paying more in their superannuation isn't a good thing at the moment you know meant a lot of people have lost their jobs and you know we're coming out off the back of a global pandemic but you know um, people who have access their super early for example that $20,000 $20, that they took out you know can mean a difference of up to $500,000 in their retirement so I in my view I think it's Prudent for Australians to be looking to get as much as they can into Super. And I'm looking forward to also seeing what the super funds are doing off the back of these your Super, your future reforms that are coming into fruition over the coming months about um, creating greater transparency for Australians, reducing their fees, and actually being benchmarks against certain things so that um, a lot of these. Super funds that aren't acting in Australian's best interests and having poor performance um, might be weeded out and and forced to close down. So I think it's a really interesting space to watch. Um, And for someone who's passionate about, you know, You know, we know women are retiring with less super than men. I think whatever we can do to build awareness about superannuation and engagement and making sure that you're in a good fund and paying low fees with the right asset allocation and topping up as early as possible means that you're going to sleep so much easier at night and have a much, I guess, more flexible and, and, and brighter future ahead. So, yeah, actively watching that.
2: Yeah, I feel like that is an amazing thing to be adding to the watch list, Maddie, and I have spoken about superannuation in our own personal conversations quite a bit, um, especially with people taking out money over COVID. It's um, very understandable, but obviously some people might not understand the long-term ramifications of doing that. And I think it is something that people need to be very aware of, which is which is their superannuation fund, because it's your money for the future. So, you know, it's a topic we all need to be be across. Now, Sarah, to to finish the episode today, we ask every guest this question. What piece of advice would you give your younger self for when you first started out investing?
4: Good question. There are so many things I would give my younger self, um, but I think it would just be... it's never too late to start and honestly it is so so simple but you know i i I did start investing you know in my 20s but then i had an experience where i took on too much risk and it freaked me out and then i I stopped and i didn't start for like close to 10 years after and i look back and i think god if i had have just had that extra 10 years in the market for my money to grow and compound so you know regardless of how much you have to start with you can start with a hundred dollars you can start with two thousand dollars just you know, feel comfortable taking a little bit of risk Take some measured risk, and you do that through all the things we discussed today, and just get started. Once you do, it's it's great. It's empowering. You can top it up along the way, and it really builds um, confidence. You know, you feel like you're confident about where you're heading financially, um, and it's going to give you a nice pool of money that you can draw on in the future to fund whatever goal that might be, whether it's in your 20s, sorry, in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. So um, definitely, just if you're thinking about it just start as soon as possible you know use a robo-advisor or something to help you get started and just dip your toe in slowly and gradually build confidence
3: Sarah that is some great advice and we want to say thank you so much for joining us over the last two episodes you have been an absolute joy to chat to and you've been very generous with your time helping us break down two massive themes that are so important when investing especially when starting out so thank you very much and we hopefully will do more with you in the future
4: Thank you so much for having
2: you on the show. It's, it's been my pleasure. Well, that rounds out our two episodes with the lovely Sarah King. We hope you enjoyed the chat with her and that you've taken away something that can help you build up your very own portfolio. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at YIGC Podcast or join our Facebook group, YIGC Investing Discussion Podcast group. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I promise there's some good content on there. Also, if you feel like it, give us a review on your favourite podcast platform. It'll really help us reach more people just like you and get them on their very own investment
0: journey. Until next week. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.
1: Potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
3: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20%
4: off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more